Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate the support from each and every one of you. Today's topic is going to be an interesting one because I was thinking that it would be cool to discuss the idea of trauma in horses, specifically like trauma early on in their life. So if we were going to reference it as to humans, it would be early childhood trauma, which we know has a lasting impact into adulthood. Um and can impact people psychologically more so than traumas that happen once they're at a less crucial age. So I wanted to talk about that specific to horses and how I think that it can impact their behavior for years to come and why we should consider this so that we can develop a more empathetic approach when horses react in ways that seem over the top for what they're reacting to. So that'll be today's topic and we'll kind of just go into all aspects of trauma and just things to consider with horses and why certain things might impact them for longer and be harder for them to let go if it happened during a crucial learning and growing period for them. Anyways, before we get started, I just wanted to let everyone know that my new Western bitless bridle, the Pogo bridle, has now dropped in store. It is absolutely beautiful. I'm super excited about it. It's completely hand-tooled, padded uh, mono crown piece, padded noseband, padded chin guard, padded cheek pieces, and it's a bitless side pole, so it's a very mild bitless bridle, and it's just really pretty. I'm really excited about this one. We put a lot of work into it, and I'm really proud of the outcome. So that's now available to order in store. It's available in dark brown light brown black or tan and then also I have some rose gold bridles still in stock I also have rose gold bitless bridles in stock and the regular classic Harlow and Milo bridles as well in addition to a bunch of new apparel releases that I've put out Um, and I've also released satin lined hats which I'm really excited about as well Um, they're great for protecting your hair so that you don't get as frizzy hat hair and it doesn't damage your hair as much as a hat without the satin lining the satin lining keeps your hair nice and like flat without making it frizzy it's really great for curly hair Uh, so I highly recommend checking out those products you can do so at the amoreequestrian.ca website a-m-o-r-e equestrian.ca on the milestone page all the products on the milestone page are my products Uh, So go check that out. I've also re-released a bunch of my seasonal designs on my merch store, which is shopmilestoneequestrian.com. So you can shop the seasonal designs to get the spooky season merch, the pumpkin spice, and some of the other ones. Uh, So you can check that out there. I'll, I'll also leave that linked down below in the description of this podcast. Lastly, if you want behind the scenes stuff, extra training help, and access to tutorials, you can subscribe to my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, patreon.com slash s-d-e-q-u-u-s and that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n um so that's a great way to get training help and get like video critiques and also have access to all the tutorials and live q a's and so on and so forth and there's going to be some really exciting stuff coming up that patrons will have first access to in terms of what i'm doing behind the scenes and some really exciting developments that i think people have been waiting for for a long time so i would recommend now to get that behind the scenes stuff that will be coming in the next few weeks and months because i'm pretty excited about it and i'll release more information on that soon anyways Let's get into this topic. So the reason why I thought about this is um, honestly because of Milo, because he's my special boy. I got him as a two-year-old from the SPCA. Um, I've talked about him a lot in podcasts and also if people follow my pages, they probably do know more or less about his story, but I'll paraphrase it quickly. 
So, basically, I adopted him as a two-year-old from the BCSPCA. He was rescued by the BCSPCA just before he would have been two because he was at a farm where they just were not feeding their horses. All of the horses were absolutely emaciated. He was a 1.5 on the body scale when he came in, so it was just a rack of bones. He was super growth stunted because of this because he'd been born into this environment where he didn't have food from the very beginning and had lived in it for the two years that he was there until he was rescued. So his whole life, like growing up and like being like since birth was traumatic because he was born into a situation where he was hungry and also the other horses around him that he would have been socializing with would have been super hungry and malnourished. So the amount of resource guarding that would occur, I would imagine would be significant especially in situations where they weren't quite as malnourished as they were where they'd be more likely to have the energy to really um display aggression towards each other so he probably would have had to fight for the food that he did get in addition to the fact that the mare that he was nursing off of as a baby would have likely been malnourished and there probably would have been limited milk for him and also less nutritious milk because she wouldn't be getting enough nutrition herself. Um, also, the general living situation at this place probably wasn't the most ideal, all that aside, um, in terms of like cleanliness and space allowed and so on and so forth. So he was born into a very dysfunctional circumstance where he not only would have learned odd socialization behaviors because the horses he was growing up with were too too malnourished to really engage in like enjoyable aspects of socialization like playing grooming hanging out because they would be in a state of discomfort all the time um so he wasn't socialized with well socialized horses or horses who were in a normal circumstance where they really could socialize properly in addition to not ever really having enough food um and on top of this, the handling that he did have from humans would have been unpleasant. Like, he wasn't handled nicely, and he also wasn't handled extensively, so he was afraid of humans when he was rescued and didn't really know anything. So when he got rescued at two, it was a big change in his life because he would have been pulled away from this herd that he would have grown up with since birth. He never would have actually been weaned off of his mom, so who knows if he would have still been trying to nurse off of her um, prior to being being rescued um and then his life was uprooted he was taken and weaned all at once from all of the horses in the herd put in a paddock by himself at the foster place and then starting to get like halter broken handled more uh with the intention of adopting him out so even if the handling was much kinder than what he was used to it would have been pretty abrupt and with more of a rush than what you would typically have with another horse because he was coming out of a situation where they would have needed to first of all load him in a trailer quickly secondly get a halter on him quickly nurse him back to health and handle him extensively for the vet care aspects of this in addition to halter breaking him so it would have been a lot all at once um and what I've noticed in him now like obviously it's been many years since he was young and people would be like oh well like most of his life now has existed where he would be would have been fed and cared for correctly which is true but the problem is in the really crucial developmental stages of his life when he is learning how to be a horse and how to exist in a herd and what life is going to be like, he had so much trauma and so much dysfunction that growing up, he kind of carries that with him. Like, I would imagine he probably has a higher level of cortisol than 
an animal that didn't grow up with that same level of stress, especially during feed times and whatnot. Like, feed time for him is always a little bit stressful, no matter what you do. Like, he always has free choice hay, but even the few seconds he has to wait to get his supplements is stressful for him because he's always kind of worried about not getting it. And his resource guarding towards other horses also happens in greater quantities because of this. He's gotten a lot better as he's aged, but it's something that is always still there. Um, and, like, interestingly for him, like, especially until, like, more recent years, he wasn't a particularly, like, social horse with other horses. It took him a while to get close to other horses, and by a while, I mean, like, literal years. Like, I would keep him out with other horses. He was never mean to other horses. He would hang out close by to them, but he wouldn't really mutual groom. He wouldn't really play with them, and he wasn't particularly herd-bound and didn't really seem to have any distinct connection with any specific horse. And I always wondered if it was due to the fact that he would have been torn out of this comfortable, well, not comfortable, but, like, comfortable in terms of knowing the horses he'd lived with for so long, living situation and thrown into something new that he just kind of detached from that. And I don't know if I'm reading into that too much because who knows what's actually going through his head, but it kind of seemed to me like he never really wanted to get close to other horses because he just viewed it as something that, like, either wouldn't really bring him much reinforcement or something that was subject to being taken away from him or who knows um and that it took like several years until we got Pogo really where he finally like made a good friend and honestly with Pogo I think a large part of it is the fact that Pogo is like so goofy and annoying that when Milo would try to get Pogo out of his face Pogo just wouldn't and he'd keep coming back and then eventually Milo had to put up with him and then eventually he started actually liking him um but he's carried a lot of these, like, interesting behaviors with him into adulthood. And I also wonder if the fact that he had to survive in that degree of malnourishment and mistreatment and had to, like, push on when he would have been so brutally unhealthy and just keep living, I wonder if that also plays a role with his response to things that he doesn't like. Because he's very outspoken about how he feels about things, even if it's a mild inconvenience. Like, if he does not like something, he's always going to let you know, even if he will tolerate it anyways. He'll always let you know. Like, there's never going to be a time where he's going to be like, oh, I'll let this one slide. It's okay. Like, you'll always get at least a little bit of a penny or, or a snark face. Even if it's a noise he doesn't like. It can be something small. It doesn't have to be large. He doesn't have to be in direct discomfort. It can even just be something that's mildly irritating to him. He's very, very expressive with how he feels. And also is very adamant about not being pushed around. Um... And I wonder if this was learned through, like, the resilience that he would have had to have gone through what he did. Uh, because, honestly, like, he has learned survival skills that lend themselves well to protecting him. Like, he's much more careful than others in the field out of all the horses I have ever had. He's typically the least likely to get, like, any type of wound, to have anything that is usually when they're less spatially aware um, and running into things. He's not typically the type to do any of that. Um, he's very careful and will notice threats from far distances and is careful about how he assesses and investigates them. And he always does go in and investigate them, but he's careful and he goes about it in a way that is much more um, deliberate and less risk-taking. 
um, than my other guys. The other ones who have grown up with always having food are less resource guarding um, and haven't had any bad experiences. So they're much more curious of new things. Like if something scary is put in their field, they'll look at it. They might snort a little bit. They might flag their tail a little bit and do all those normal horse things, but they'll approach it way quicker than him. And they also go and mess with way more things than him because they're so, so curious. And Milo also is curious, but it's in a much different way where he's just much more cautious. Um, like, for example, with my other guys, if we were out on a trail ride or something and there is like a mountain lion or a bear, the other horses would be much more likely to want to approach it and be curious. Whereas Milo would probably notice that something was up well before you'd ever see this creature and would be like a hard no. Or if he was ever asked to walk across a bridge or ground that is unstable and that he doesn't feel safe about, he would refuse to go and you could not make him go. Whereas my other horses, even if they said a hard no, you could probably make them do it anyways. Um, Milo's never been that type. He's very, very careful about the type of situations that he'll put himself in. Um, and he's just more of a survivor. And I think it's a learned skill that he's had to have because of the situations that he's in. Um, on top of this, like, the state that he was in when I would have gotten him as a youngster, even as he was getting fed and nourished more correctly, he would have been in a higher stress state and he was a lot more afraid of everything, as I mentioned. So he had certain things that have, like, traumatized him for years to come. Like, for example, when I first got him, like, I think it was within the first year of having him. Uh, I moved him to a place where he was living in an in-and-out stall, and one of the people who did the feedings at that place chased him out of the stall because she said that he was being, like, food aggressive, which, honestly, he was never food aggressive towards people. I still, to this day, think this person was full of shit, and that he maybe, at most, like, pinned his ears at them if they waved their hands around at him and got all aggressive trying to get him to move away from them all at once because he would have been like, who the fuck are you? Um, but... I don't think he actually did anything, but anyways, they chased him out of the stall with, like, a pitchfork, and he caught his hip going out of the in-and-out stall, and he has a fear of, like, narrow doorways even still. He's gotten a lot better because he literally would not want to go through them, or he'd go running through them, even when he was loose in the paddock and no one was asking him to go through. He would, like, wait and, like, build up the courage and then run through the door all at once and wouldn't like to walk in and out of them. He's now at the point where he doesn't like it, but he's more likely to walk calmly and doesn't go shooting out and has gotten less nervous but it's still very much a trauma that has stuck with him no matter how much repetition that there's been and it'll sometimes spontaneously come back even after he's been great for a long time and it was a one-off occurrence it wasn't something particularly stressful it was just like a one-off aversive thing where he ran into the door caught his hip it would have been uncomfortable in that moment but it's not like the person kept chasing him with the rake after um but again, it's something that to him at that moment was scary enough that he's taken with it, hit, taken it with him into adulthood. Um, now, aside from Milo, I've also noticed this in horses who have had bad things happen to them in training early on in life. And by like early in life, I'm talking about like ages zero to like three typically, because once they hit around, like, the four to five-year-old mark, I haven't noticed that it impacts them quite as heavily, but with that said, anytime you traumatize a horse at any age, um, depending on the degree of the trauma and how the horse perceives it and how nervous they are personality-wise and so on, it could still impact them greatly, um, but that aside, the horses that I get that typically tend to be the most troubled when they come into training, 
um, when we're talking horses who've had bad experiences that they're coming to get help with. The ones that typically have the most problems are the ones who have had traumatic things happen to them at a pretty young age. So a lot of this happens during like halter breaking. Like I've had a horse who was tied to an ATV and then just pulled along forcibly until they stopped resisting um, to be halter broken. Like that was the very first intro to any pressure on the halter was just extremely high, non-forgiving pressure all at the back of an immature skull and neck. Uh, so that horse like, even outside of halter leading stuff and wearing tack, developed so many stress behaviors that I think were a result of that mistreatment. So it wasn't even necessarily within the specific context of what was being taught in an abusive manner initially, but it's just, like, anything new in training. She was much more flighty in general, way quicker to just be super reactive, and when she was reactive, if she was loose, she'd turn and she'd fire out at you and was more likely to respond with aggression. Um... So it took a lot of time to kind of get her to settle in to not doing that and to start to trust people a little bit more and get her stress level down enough that she wasn't so quickly reactive. And of course, we never did any like saliva or blood cortisol testing with her because that's not something you'd normally do. Um, but if we did, I would imagine, especially in the beginning stages of training, she was operating with a higher level of cortisol than a regular horse, even at like quote-unquote resting when she's not doing anything which is why she went from zero to 60 way quicker because her window of tolerance was already starting to fill and overflow easily um and this is what I've noticed with a lot of traumatized horses is like what sets them off can be something that seems super small because they're already at such a high level of stress even before you take them out and do any work with them that it doesn't take very much to have them finally spill over and just go flying over a threshold. It can be very small things. And usually these are the types of horses that when impatient trainers get them and they try to do something that's seemingly normal and that, that they would expect a horse should be able to do and the horse freaks out, they get upset and they're like, whoa, this horse is so stupid. They know how to do this. They've done this before. This happened out of nowhere. And they get really mad at the horse and add to the history of trauma with how they choose to behave. Um, and so this is why it's important when we're training horses, because unless you've literally raised them since birth and have virtually been the only person ever handling them, it's really difficult to actually speak for when a horse was traumatized or what caused it or what behaviors are the result of trauma, because unless you have that whole history, you can't really write any of that stuff off. So... I personally operate with the mindset that, like, if a horse is reacting really strongly to something that, in theory, most horses would be able to tune out, I take their word for it and assume they had some type of traumatic experience or that they're nervous of this thing for whatever reason, and then work with them through the fear. Um, and I think more trainers need to do that because it's doing the horse a service. Otherwise, you're just assuming that they're just reacting just to be a shithead and just solely out of spite and then punishing them accordingly when it's not really their fault they're reacting to trauma and you just aren't being considerate of the experiences the horse might have had before 
Um, we see this also a lot with horses who've had bad tying experiences. I would argue that this is probably one of the more common forms of trauma that people experience in horses because this is where you could have a horse who had a bad tying experience. Usually it's from them being hard tied and pulling back and having it be really traumatic and feeling trapped until they finally break free and get loose. Um, and unfortunately a lot of trainers still hard tie horses as a means of teaching them how to tie, which is a highly traumatic way of doing it and can create these lasting problems where the horse is just always a liability to tie, which is why I think it's so incredibly stupid to teach horses how to tie that way. Um, that aside, horses who are trained that way that have lasting trauma, in theory you can tie them and they'll be tying fine, tying fine, and then there can be like a little noise, a gust of wind can blow like a leaf that touches their leg, or something happens that finally pushes them over a threshold, and it can be as simple as them taking one step backwards, feeling the pressure on the back of the halter, and then they go immediately into pulling back and freaking out violently. And a lot of people are caught by surprise from this because they think it happened out of nowhere and the horse might have been seemingly calm. In a lot of cases where the horse is seemingly calm while they're tied, usually they're still kind of high-headed and definitely not relaxed. They're just standing there not moving um, and then waiting until something finally sends them over threshold and then they react all at once. And this is a really good example of lasting trauma, especially if it's something that happens to them when they're young. It typically impacts them more. Um... In addition to being more likely to cause them pain and do permanent damage to their neck and skull from the amount of pulling back on such a young, underdeveloped body. But these horses are the ones that typically have the most issues with tying. And you don't always even know it's a problem because people just continue to tie them and they'll just sell them and not necessarily mention it. And then all of a sudden when the horse spooks while tied, you find out that they have a severe pulling back issue because they panic all at once and pull back. And... This is a pretty common issue because tying for horses, like what people need to realize it's a, is that it's an essential behavior for us as humans, but for a flight animal, it is a liability to their safety. Like trying to make them stand in one place and tie them in a way that feels inescapable to them is a liability. It, it's unnatural. It makes them feel uncomfortable because they have no option to flee and they're immediately met with resistance if they try to take space or extend any space from whatever the trigger is by stepping back and moving. Um, so it's a behavior that is hard for them to learn and that there can be a lot of trauma associated with it because it's unnatural for them. Like they're not meant to be stationary animals that cannot have the option to flee from a stressor. So this is why it's so imperative to teach it right from the get-go rather than doing it in a highly stressful way because then you're creating a trauma memory that can keep popping up all the time because, again, we need to tie horses um, or at least teach them how to ground tie reliably and it's a very important skill for them to have. So Creating trauma in these types of situations, in my opinion, is just setting up yourself to have lots of grief in the future because you're creating problems that are going to be lasting and very prevalent in everyday use of the horse. And it can be something that will spontaneously re-arise. Like you could, in theory, think you fixed a pulling back issue until something that is scary enough happens and the horse just reacts and they're in such a high state of stress that they go back to just reacting in their fight or flight mode stage of just pulling back violently and panicking. Um, and you want to prevent this. So the best thing that you can do for a horse is just not make it stressful from the get-go. And if you get a horse who, in theory, you feel should, you think should know something and they don't, 
I would just say have some grace and just reteach them because getting mad at them because you expect them to know something and just kind of throwing it at them full intensity and expecting them to deal with it is never going to help you. It's not going to get you to where you want to be. It's not going to get you to your end goal with the horse. It's not going to be particularly helpful to rush them through that. You're always going to be better off to just reintroduce the skill. And I stand by this even for things where the horses had like breaks in having certain things done with it. Like for example, hoses. Like a lot of horses, when you don't work with the hose over the winter, they might need it reintroduced in the spring. The fact that you've hosed them before is completely irrelevant. If they go a long time without having it done, it might need to get reintroduced because if they're scared of it, then they need to get reintroduced. And some horses might need to get reintroduced to things frequently if they're more flighty animals. Like some horses are just more naturally fearful than others as well, even without any pre-existing trauma. So this is just something to think about is that we have chosen to work with flight animals whose entire MO is finding and assessing threat levels and reacting accordingly. So what this means is something that might not partic- like not might not typically be perceived as a threat could be perceived as threatening on a day where the horse is already having its stress go up from other things or a day where the horse is in more discomfort or pain or a day where other little triggers have just consistently stacked through- throughout the day and then they finally react to something that they would typically be able to tune out. This is what they are meant to do. This is what keeps them safe, is noticing minor little changes in things and being able to assess the threat level. And this is also why their brain doesn't categorize things as the same object when they're viewing it from different angles. It's always something new because if they see it and they don't acknowledge that threat, it could end up being something that kills them. So they have to notice everything. They have to really notice and understand their home range and know it well. So they will notice little changes in the environment that we don't even notice and that we're not aware of. It can be something as simple as, oh, this mounting block got moved like three inches to the right. They'll probably notice. And the fact that we're not wired to notice these little things because we are apex predators and we don't have to worry about things to the same degree as a flight animal, that doesn't matter. Our feelings don't matter in training. It's irrelevant. We're not training apex predators. We're not training humans. So using using human psychology to justify how you handle your horse is inherently flawed. And so much of what people do to try to justify rough training methods is rooted in anthropomorphizing horses and applying human psychology to them. Like, oh, they already knew how to do this. They're reacting badly this way. They're doing it on purpose. They're just trying to be bad. They're just being rank. It's all with the assumption that they're doing things solely just to inconvenience us, which is so narcissistic because it's making it all about us and assuming that, like, the horse is spending their every day just thinking of ways to, like, either please or disappoint us, which is not what's happening. They're just reacting how they know to. They're being a horse. And we make way too many things about us and we apply our thought processes to way too many animals and it ends up doing the animal a disservice by having them be mistreated by people because we're applying human ideals to them and then being upset when they cannot meet them because they don't understand our culture, they don't understand our communication, they don't understand how we think. It's our job to teach them how to exist in a human environment. So if at any time a horse is not performing in the way that you want it to, 
you got to look within yourself and say, it's my job to make this work. And if it's not working, it's actually a reflection of me and my practice and something I've missed, not of the horse. Because in theory, you should be able to work with virtually any horse and adapt your training method accordingly to make it successful. So good trainers are not the ones who have a horse act up and then freak out and get mad at the horse and do things with the intent of showing the horse who's boss and making the horse scared and punishing the horse because they're upset that the horse didn't fit into like their cookie cutter training mold. And those types of trainers are always the ones that are creating trauma in horses because they let their ego get the best of them. And then they freak out and lash out at horses. And I know when I say this stuff online, a lot of people think that I'm doing it to be judgmental or they think that I'm like trying to be better than people when I say these things. No, I say this because I know the psychology well because I used to think that way. I used to be taught how to do things like that and I am mentored under trainers who had that exact training methodology and that's how they handled things when things didn't go their way in training. So naturally, since I grew up seeing it as a young kid, I started to react that way and when horses would frustrate me and they wouldn't do what I wanted, I responded with anger because that's what I always had modeled in front of me and that's what I had been taught. I had been taught that when they did things that they usually didn't, that they were just being bad on purpose and that they knew better and that they were just doing it to be bad and I had to show them who is boss. And so I did that. But now that I'm on the other side of it, I can see how like unhinged and unable to control their emotions so many trainers I grew up watching and respecting actually were. Like their egos are put ahead of every little common sense training aspect and every little stepping stone that would allow them to be a better trainer. The ego comes first because the reason why they respond with anger when the horse doesn't do what they want is because they're frustrated and embarrassed that what they did didn't work. And then they take it out on the horse because their method didn't work. They're mad at the horse now. And honestly, like, it's really hard to work with horses and it's hard to be a horse trainer. So some frustration, I would say, is normal. Like, you can't expect to get everything right all the time. But if your frustration leads you to, like, completely losing your shit on a horse and just escalating the situation so far past what it would have been otherwise, then you have a problem that you seriously need to work on because all you're going to do is endanger yourself and other people's horses because you're letting your emotions just completely take you for a ride and come above every other aspect of common sense that you should have when handling animals. The fact of the matter is, no matter what anyone thinks, getting a flight animal more stressed is statistically more dangerous. It's more likely to cause you problems. They're less likely to retain information when they're stressed. So this is not an argument. People can say whatever they want. It doesn't make it true. So if you're ever dealing with people like this and you find yourself getting frustrated, like, or if you train under someone like this and they're feeding you bullshit about stuff like this, I understand if the horses you're riding aren't yours, you're in a difficult position. Just keep in mind that you don't have to agree with everything your instructor does. You can hold different views. You can take the teaching that you have access to and improve your riding in ways that they allow you to without respecting the entire ideology they have, especially if you can easy, easily disprove it. Because the fact of the matter is, a stressed horse is not learning anything. It's not. And shutting down horses through punishment and through getting, like, overly pissed off at them is just creating a ticking time bomb of a traumatized horse that will be shut down, shut down, shut down, lethargic, dead, not not acting like it's anything. They look like relaxed, calm horses when they're in a state of depression. 
Um, but then if something finally sends them over threshold, they react all at once and it is so violently dangerous that it is just an insanely huge liability to ever willingly put a horse into that state of mind. Like, it just ignites a fiery passion inside of me, um, to see trainers doing stuff like that because it's just so absurd. It's dangerous for everyone and most of all it's like dangerous for the person whoever gets that horse next. Like they're just setting it up for failure. Even in theory if like beating the crap and being loud with horses works to shut them down and get them to do what you want. You are basically handing someone a nuclear bomb that may or may not go off in that horse's lifetime and that's a really scary concept to think about. Whereas if you actually empower horses in learning how to self-soothe and handle their stress and teach them that certain things aren't inherently scary, then you have a much more reliable horse that even when new things are thrown at them, they're more likely to turn to you for guidance and they're easier to reason with in times of high stress. But a horse who has been trained through fear and taught to fear its trainer or fear the wrong answer in times of stress is much more likely to want to get the fuck away from that trainer and move away, extend space, and not seek them out for reassurance. So, It makes it really hard to kind of bring them down from that state of stress because they don't trust you. You're an adversary to them because that's what you've taught them through how they've been trained. So it's just shooting yourself in the foot for future and for actually being able to improve the training and well-being of the horse. And it's a real shame because so many people are taught to train like this at varying degrees. Like, not everyone takes it to the point where they're completely, like, beating the crap out of the horse and taking it to such a high degree of punishment. But a lot of trainers have this mindset where, like, when the horse does something wrong, like, they're they're mad and they feel the need to, like, show the horse who's boss. It is such a prevalent mindset in the horse community and it contributes to so much trauma in horses. And it's really sad because the amount of times I've seen trainers go off on horses to show them who's boss when the horse is literally just responding with fear and gave them so many warnings before that is way too much. And it's, it's really hard to watch and it's frustrating too because I know that a lot of these people deep down, like they're well-intentioned, they do love their horses and they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're doing what's right for their horse to establish boundaries and make them safe to be around people because that's what they've been taught is right. So hearing that it's wrong and hearing that a lot of people don't respect that school of thought anymore can make them really reactionary and they're not as likely to want to receive that information because it can be really, really hard to have to undo stuff that you've been taught basically since you started riding. And that's the difficult thing is that to get change in the horse world, people need to be like open-minded, but like we're taught from the very beginning that it's like a weakness to be wrong and that like showing the horse who's boss and putting them in their place is something that's cool and admirable and makes you a good equestrian to be able to like ride through it and push them on and like make them work. It's some it's a source of pride for so many people. So that's become like their identity as a rider and trainer is being able to do these things and get praised by their trainers for that. Um, And it's a really hard mindset to get out of, but it contributes to a lot of trauma in horses. And it also makes it really hard to actually address problems because you're never actually addressing what is causing the behavior. You're just seeking to try to extinct the behavior and like, or extinguish the behavior and 
just do it at any cost. And it's also coming inherently from a viewpoint that the horse is doing things on purpose, simply to upset people. So what I encourage people to do is like, even in cases where you think you know the horse's entire history, when they're reacting a certain way, just give them the benefit of the doubt as much as you can. And I know sometimes it can be hard, it requires a lot of patience, and it can be really, really hard to want to do this and to, like, become committed to do this, especially when you've been reinforced and encouraged to respond with that knee-jerk reaction of, like, anger and punishment. It takes a lot of practice. And I want to say it like this because it's not that you have to just, it's not that it should be expected that people who have grown up being taught things this way, that they should just be able to stop it at a drop of the hat because it is a knee-jerk reaction that has been reinforced and trained into them. So like these traumatized horses who react all at once, these people are reacting all at once in ways that they've been taught to do and reinforced to do. So undoing that takes a lot of mindset development and catching yourself before you get to the point where you're being reactionary. You have to catch yourself before you're already over threshold and getting mad. And you to do that, you need to become more self-aware. And this is why I think it's so important for people to place value in modern science and the research on equine behavioral science because it holds all of us as trainers and handlers way more accountable. This also includes like equine nutrition, equine exercise physiology, everything related to equine sciences. It holds us more accountable. It's not that you have to agree with everything you see or completely drop what you're doing and change everything the second any study even remotely questions it. But you should look where the facts are pointing and hold weight in things that are very, very well researched and show consistent results. Like, for example, the correlation between stalled horses and colic and other behavioral issues and psychological issues. That correlation is so distinct and proven that there's no reason for people to write it off. There's nothing on the side of stalling to prove that it's actually inherently more beneficial to horses. And everything about their biomechanics and how they're built as animals indicates that they're meant to be moving and trickle feeding. So that's one where it's like, I think people who choose to deny that, they're being decidedly in denial. It's not that they even think that they're right necessarily. They're just choosing to stick their head in the sand like an ostrich and go la la, clap their hands over their ears and go la 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 la. But And with, like, behavioral science as well, the same thing applies where it's like horses don't do things maliciously. There's nothing that has been proven thus far that shows any capacity for them to deliberately do things just to piss us off. And until there actually is valid proof in that direction, I don't think any of us should be taking that with us in training and carrying it as fact. Even if you feel like it is deliberate and malicious. Because there's some, th- there's some things my horses do in communication that seem more deliberate and planning than what we currently think they're capable of doing. But I don't think that they do anything maliciously just to like piss me off and with the intent of getting a rise out of me in the way that a lot of people do. So... We, we have lots to still learn about equine cognition, but there's a lot that we already do know. And with the research going in the directions that we have, if there's so much in one direction and nothing in the other, I think that we got to hold the weight where the research is. Uh, and that starts with not getting mad at horses like they're doing things on purpose, because that is such a common trend in the horse community. And it's a very common 
cause of people way overreacting to things and being completely unkind to their horses. So if we start to do away with that mindset, the amount of trauma that horses do experience will be massively reduced. And like we know with people, there are crucial periods of development when we are growing up where we're much more likely to be impacted by things. And the ages at which horses are usually started in training and handling are during these crucial development periods for them psychologically and physically. So with that in mind, we got to be careful, especially for trainers that are taking in young horses and working with them. We need to treat them like toddlers. Like we need to treat them like young children and, and you are like completely out of line if you're gonna shake a young kid or like spank them or like yell at them to try to teach them something because it doesn't work. It just makes them scared and fear authority and doesn't help them. You need to support them in their learning endeavor and help them become better through assisting them in the process rather than getting mad at them when they don't do it right. Because otherwise you could create a lasting trauma response even for something that's seemingly not a big deal. Even if it's not something that seems completely traumatic to you. There's certain things that are traumatic to horses and stick with them that we might write off as nothing and that cause behavioral change that then we later do not associate with the thing that caused the trauma. There's a lot of like fallout behaviors that can occur because of one event that we might not necessarily associate with that event. So it requires a mindset change and giving horses the benefit of the doubt more. Um, and I hope that makes sense and I hope that explanation helps people kind of reconsider things when their horse starts to get reactive because I guarantee you responding with an emotional angry response when your horse does something wrong like even if they hurt you even if they kick you responding with anger is just more likely to get you hurt and cause more problems and it can be tempting to do when you've been encouraged to do it for so long believe me I know it's taken me a lot of self-reflection and personal work on myself and like growth and development to really remove some of those like knee-jerk reactions that I'd been so taught to have over like the decades I've been around horses. But you'll be better for it and it'll also help you not be as reactionary in human situations. So it's kind of like therapizing yourself for every aspect of life, not just with horses, because it'll help you not respond emotionally in other areas. But it's like you have to commit to the process and really start to kind of challenge yourself to be self-aware, which can be hard because for me initially it was, I viewed it as such a weakness to be wrong and admit that I was doing things wrong and admit that I'd been taught wrong and own up to my faults. I viewed it as a weakness, so I would get super defensive and I wanted to really lay into defending things that I was doing. But eventually I hit a point where I realized that being able to admit to mistakes is actually a strength because if you can own up to your mistakes and hold yourself accountable, then it means that people really don't have much to hold over your head. Like, what can people really say to drag you for if you're just like, yeah, I used to do that shitty thing when they point it out and be like, yeah, I did and I'm working on it. It completely derails their ability to try to shame you for something if you're actively working on it and you're self-aware. Um, and the more you try to be that way, I think the more reinforcing it is and the more you realize how much better it is. At least that's the case for me. Uh, so I really hope that we start to move forward to towards developing a horse world where people are more kind to their horses and kind of pause for a moment before reacting like what we're taught to do in human arguments pause before reacting think about your response if you're emotionally triggered 
maybe wait a little bit longer before you react because otherwise you're reacting from fight or flight mode and you're basically guaranteed to have an irrational reaction. You need to bring yourself down and we shouldn't be going into fight or flight mode when our flight animal is going into fight or flight mode as well. Um, we should be trying to remain calm and be the sane person in the equation and not escalate it. And so much of horse training when horses don't do what we want is about escalating the situation and just causing more stress to the horse. And I just think it's so flawed. Like, I think there's so many improvements we could make if we started to rectify that mindset. And we could also stop so much trauma that happens to horses and makes them dangerous. Like, a lot of situations that make horses most dangerous and give them extensive behavioral problems that might eventually result in behavioral euthanasia or result in horses getting passed around from home to home, a lot of those issues are the result of bad trainers and are completely preventable. So we'd see a lot less horses being displaced because of behavioral issues if we actually started to focus on how we contribute to them as an industry. So anyways, that's my TED Talk for the day. I hope people enjoy this topic. As always, I really appreciate everyone for listening to me. Um, we're almost at 50,000 podcast downloads, which is absolutely insane. So thank you so much for everyone for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, it's always an honor to, yeah, to be able to provide stuff that people like listening to. And I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. And like I said at the beginning, there's going to be some really exciting developments coming over the next few weeks and months. Uh, I'll post about them first on my Patreon. So if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, definitely check that out. I have the link in the podcast description. It's patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S-P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And like I said, my new product line has had a bunch of stuff added. You can go to amoreequestrian.ca, A-M-O-R-E, equestrian.ca. On the milestone page, all of those products are mine. In addition, if you want a way to help support me without subscribing to Patreon, I now have an Amazon wish list for stuff for like horses that I'm going to get for training and for like building their paddock paradise and enrichment and whatnot. So that's another way to support the podcast um, with and like other areas of my social media development and help with the horses uh, is the Amazon wish list because I put stuff on it that we're just working towards getting and I'm going to slowly take stuff off too as I buy it because I'm saving for all of it as well. And I also have a new thing called buy me a coffee which is like a one-off donation that you can do for like five dollars or whatever the cost of a coffee is and that's buymeacoffee.com slash s-d-e-q-u-u-s so those are ways you can support the podcast and stuff i don't post ads on here typically i very rarely get paid to do ads so all of the time that i put into like podcasts youtube videos etc is mostly just time that's spent doing stuff for free and i really like doing it and i like providing information because i think that it's helpful for making the changes that i would like to see in the horse world but anyone who would like to or who is able to support it's always super appreciated because it is expensive to get all the products and stuff that I need for the podcast and building my business in general as a singular person and entrepreneur has been very difficult so all the help and support I get by people like listening to the podcast sharing the podcast liking and sharing my other posts and subscribing to patreon or any of the other stuff is so appreciated because it does all really help so thank you again and check those all out you can see them in the links down below in the podcast thanks again everyone and I hope you have a great day and yeah just remember to stop and pause for a moment and don't be reactionary because otherwise you could inadvertently create a trauma experience for your horse whether you intend to or not sometimes good intentions can have bad results if we don't think 